0: This is a cultural moment of racism and injustice. The death of George Floyd a few weeks ago and the subsequent protests that have spread throughout this country, really throughout this entire world, have so many of us looking at this as a defining moment for who we are as a people and where we see our society headed. For so many of us, we see this as a moment of righteous anger over what has happened. We are mourning with those who mourn Uh, We are convicted as we face our own prejudices uh, that we look at in our own hearts. And um, we look at all the ways that we have not been good listeners to others and their journey in the past. So many of us have chosen to speak out, to march on the streets, and to demand action for change. And this is a moment full of raw human emotion. I love that poem that we just heard from Alexis Chamberlain a few moments ago, her poem Riot, where she did an excellent job trying to capture the the passionate beliefs that we hold and, and what has been violated. This is a moment when so many of us are asking the question of what does it mean for us to be human beings and what does it mean for us to be a society and where should we head and how do we get there? This is a moment where the world is calling for social Justice. And I think it's very important for us to acknowledge that there is a common ground between the church and the world in this respect. Both the church and the world uh, believe that wrongdoing should be met with justice. Both the church and the world uh, would like to see people come together in unity. Both the church and the world are hopeful for a better future. We want to see change. We want to believe that good will triumph over evil, that love will overcome hate. And for myself, uh, there's so many things that we could uh, focus on here uh, this morning. We could lament uh, the tragedy of the death of George Floyd and the broken world that he left behind We could um, talk about the emotions that we're feeling in terms of the anger of all of the injustice in the world. We could uh, call for change uh, to happen from the people who are in positions of power. But instead of that, I want to actually engage your mind in a theological discussion. I'd like us to have a theological understanding of this moment uh, to look at the nature of who man is, who uh, God is, who Christ is, who the church is, to have a, a spiritual anthropology, uh, to have a theological understanding before we then speak out, before we then act out, before we uh, demand change. We need to ground that conversation in a theological understanding of what the Bible talks about and who we are, who God is, what the, church, what the church's role in all of this should be. I think it's very important that we start from that place right now before we move to action. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at a spiritual anthropology of the image of God in man, the world's pursuit of the image of man, and the image of Christ in all of us who believe here in the church And I want to ground us in this theological understanding to help us spiritually interpret this moment before we move to action. And so if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. And I want to look first at the image of God within every single human being. Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 26 through 28. Uh, Moses wrote this about how God created the heavens and the earth. And uh, when, after he had created every living thing uh, in the sky and on the earth and under the ocean, uh, God on the sixth day culminated his creation as creator God by creating man and woman. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the sea, uh, the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and so God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I love this because it shows that all of us, every single human being is precious in the sight of God. We were all created with the image of God and um, God has placed his image in every single one of us, and that means three things. Number one, it means that every single human being that's created in the image of God in some way can reflect back to God and reflect back to each other some of the best characteristics of who God is, Um, a desire for goodness, a desire for truth, a desire for justice. That all comes from the reality that we're all created in the image of God And um, that image is marred, it's flawed, it's broken because of sin and evil in our hearts, because of the fall of man in the garden. But just as Adam and Eve had the original image of God that was then broken because of the fall, so we too have all the image of God. Uh, We all have that within us. Number two, it means not only do we in some way reflect back the characteristics of who God is, because we have the image of God, but number two, we in some way are able to... Um, seek out relationships, uh, have a desire to have a relationship with God, a desire to have a relationship with others that are harmonious and loving. And that is a reflection of the image of God. Um, In our passage in verse 26, God created us with the image of God when he said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Notice the plural, us, our, our. That means that God, the Trinity, God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three unique persons, but all one. In the Trinity, they created man and woman. They created in community, and they created man to be in community between male and female. And so inherent to the, to the, to the uh, image of God is our desire for relationship. And number three, it says in verse 28 that man was given um, a command to be fruitful and to multiply, to have dominion over every living thing on the earth. And so the image of God means that every single one of us have a stewardship. We have a work to be done. We've been entrusted by God with levels of responsibility in this earth. And so every single human being was made in the image of God. And when we look at the death of George Floyd, his life matters to us and his death has struck us, not just because he was a black man who died under the knee of a white man. It is not just because that there was the badge of law enforcement involved, and uh, that evokes powerful memories of injustice in our justice system. His life matters to us, and his death has struck us, not just because of those reasons where he was a father, and he was a brother, and he was a church-going member who gave back to his community. Uh, He matters to us, not just because... His death reminds us of so many other people, even of different colors, uh, who have died on the streets, who have died in the schools over the past few years. And uh, we've been reminded of that violence through this. All of those reasons matter. But the primary reason why George Floyd's life matters to us and his death has struck us is because when we saw him breathe his last breaths, when we saw him perish from this world, something was violated in us. And that was the image of God. See, so we saw the image of God defiled. We saw the image of God end. And we felt that because we too have the image of God. And we are in that way spiritually connected together. George Floyd could reflect back the characteristics. Of God in the sense that he desired goodness for his life. He wanted justice. He wanted the truth in his life. Uh, He wanted to be able to relate to other people and even to his God. And he had a sense of stewardship, a work that he was to do here on this earth. He was made in the image of God and so are we. And uh, that connects us together. That's a powerful thing. It's the most powerful thing that connects us is every single human being was made in the image of God. And if you want evidence for that, think about this. Most of us, we didn't even know George Floyd. Most of us um, throughout the world, uh, many of us were not even of the same race. Many of us were not of the same socioeconomic status as George Floyd. Uh, Many of us have never actually been to Houston or Minneapolis where he has lived. Many of us don't even live in this country. So many protests that are happening right now in his name are happening in places like Brazil or Japan or France, or Germany, or New Zealand, or a host of other countries throughout the world where there's thousands, even tens of thousands of people coming together in protest. And why is that? When we didn't have a direct connection to him, it's because he had the image of God, and so do we, and we are connected through that. I mean, the image of God is so powerful, it has overpowered the coronavirus. I mean, just a few weeks ago, we didn't even want to be near each other. You know, we were social distancing, and now you have thousands upon thousands of people in close proximity marching on the streets. Uh, Many people with masks, but still coming together. The image of God is more powerful than the restraints and boundaries of the coronavirus. It is so powerful. And so the first thing that we need to recognize is the reason why we care is because all of us have been made in the image of God. And that is a powerful Uh, force in our lives that connects us to uh, each other and gives us a desire for god i want to look at a second aspect right now which is well um which is the image of man and as we look at what has happened uh, in the church we we want to do something we want to be better we want to be part of change Uh, We want to act so that things uh, can be different. And I've been just kind of hearing different quotes from uh, different people in the name of the church. And uh, they have been saying, they've been calling the church for change. Uh, One pastor, I heard uh, him say, quote, I will fight so that we can end racism in our lifetimes that we can end racism in society in our lifetimes. Um, Another Christian that I know recently posted a picture on their social media that showed the picture of a man that was holding um, a sign that said, no justice, no peace. And this man in the picture was making an obscene gesture with his hand towards the camera. And this Christian who posted that picture was saying to everyone, "Um, no one is free when others are oppressed. And they're encouraging all Christians to sign the petition for justice. Another Christian that um, I know posted a rather long quote, and uh, they said the following. I'm going to read um, almost the entire quote. They said, quote, to those who are posting these blackouts, um, many people have been posting pictures of um, black uh, squares or black rectangles on their social media accounts to uh, show their solidarity with the Black uh, Lives Matter movement. To those who are posting blackouts, I encourage you not to end there, they said. This is a political issue. We need political reform. Your posts and shares are not, are not enough. We need action. To my brothers and sisters in Christ, empathy does not compensate for movement. Be empathetic. Pray for justice. But you need to have movement. Being unpolitical is not just acceptable anymore. When this is done trending and your Instagrams go back to normal, are you going to vote for leaders who align with these beliefs and convictions you've been sharing online every day? Or will you vote for more politicians who turn off the lights when we need them most? We need to elect leaders, local and federal, who will not only hear us, but change laws and systems to ensure that these injustices end. This starts at the top. It's easy to participate when everyone else is. It's easy to post a black box on Instagram when everyone else is. But don't mistake that black box for movement. Political representation is a catalyst for racial equality. And, um... As I listen to this, I hear uh, these Christians calling the church to try and uh, end racism in society for good within our lifetimes. I hear these Christians saying, uh, we need to be moved to political action. And uh, and that is really a, a primary way that the church needs to be engaged here. And what strikes me is... Um, there's this narrative that's going on in the church right now, and it goes like this. If you don't post a picture of a black box on your social media, then you're automatically racist. If you don't march in the street, then you're complicit with evil. If you don't demand change for laws and, and, um, and, and uh, make, call people to make sure that that happens, and you're actively doing that as a lifestyle, then you are a traitor to all that is good and right in the eyes of God. And um, I have a real big problem with that because what it is, it's, it, it's really a hypocrisy on the people who are saying that towards their Christian brethren. It's a microaggression that's being played out in a macro way. And what is being said to the church by those also within the church is that if you don't do this one thing at this one time, uh, then... You're evil. And there has to be a way for the church to be able to help the oppressed, to be able to minister to the poor without it feeling like we're simply following the leading of the world. See, there's a big problem when the church is in a position where she is following the leading of the world for change. The church should never be in the position where she is following the world to initiate spiritual change, the change that can only happen in the human heart. The world can lead in areas in terms of like building freeways or building buildings or passing uh, laws in in society, and the church can have some influence on that, but the the world should never lead the church in terms of changing the human heart. And what this starts to feel like to me is uh, the world is leading the church instead of the church leading the world. The world is leading the church to an idealized vision of who man can be uh, both personally, individually, as well as in society versus the church leading the world to how Christ can change the human heart and how we can be a force for good as the church, as God's people in society. And um, I want to go to our second point here today, which is to look at the world's solution in this. And we have to be careful Church, that we don't fall into the error of Genesis chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel, that we can stand against injustice as the church. We can minister to the poor as the church, but we want to be careful to understand that ultimately the world, their destination, when these calls for oneness and unity, um, are going to lead us ultimately to the Tower of Babel. They're going to lead us to... An approach to fixing the broken image of God in man with replacing it with the image of man, an idealized vision of who man can be, both individually and as a society. And we have to be very careful that we understand that spiritual anthropology, that we have a theological understanding of the dangers of what can happen. And so in Genesis chapter 11, um, let's look at the image of man. That society tried to build. In verse uh, 1 through 9 of Genesis chapter 11 says this. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Verse 4, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And verse 5, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Verse 7, come let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This account in Genesis talks about the attempt of the world and man to unite in unity, to change the spirituality, to change the heart of man outside of God. In verse 4, it says um, these people were wanting to make a name for themselves. In verse 6, that they were wanting to be one people of one language, and they thought that nothing would be impossible for them to accomplish outside of God. And God saw that. The danger of that, of man placing too much faith in his own power to change the human heart. And uh, this was a society where they were trying to have unity without salvation. This was a society where they wanted justice and equality without the sanctification that comes through the Lord. This was a society where they were repenting of of their racism, without repenting of the disobedience of the Lord. This was a society where they're trying to build a great society without inviting people into the community where God can be worshipped. The Tower of Babel is an illusion. And I think what you have here in this passage is, while it sounds good for man to come together to accomplish great things outside of God, to bring unity to disobey God's command to to multiply and be fruitful throughout the entire earth, but instead to come together and to try and change things on their own outside of God. Um, The danger in this is that it really underestimates the true hostility and the chaos and evil that is resident within the human heart. We all carry the broken image of God, but that is a broken and a flawed image. And because it is broken and it is flawed, it is uh, filled with hostility and hatred and racism and injustice towards both um, each other and hostility towards God. And when we try and build a Tower of Babel, uh, we underestimate the evil of the human heart. And secondly, there is no uh, verbal witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ that can truly change man. And so we have to be careful that we as the church, do not, while we want to care for the poor, while we want to help the oppressed, as the church, while we want to stand for what is right, we also do not want to be led by the world. See, so the world's solution is to try and repair the broken image of man, the broken image of God in man, by replacing it with an idealized version of who man is, an idealized version of the image of man, who man can be individually and collectively as a society. And so I want to look at the image of Christ now in the church and how we as the church are being conformed to the image of Christ as an alternative to the world pursuing the image of man theologically. Uh, Let's look at a couple of verses here in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 29. The Apostle Paul said, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that his Son being Jesus Christ. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49, Paul said, Just as we have been born of the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That man of heaven is Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here in this passage in Romans and in 1 Corinthians is that uh, the only way to repair the broken image of God in us is not through the idealized uh, image of man. It is through replacing the broken image of God with the image of Christ, with Christ living through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, for those of us who believe and who follow Him. This week I... I tried to capture this in a social media post on my Facebook and Instagram. Uh, how can the church mourn with those who mourn? How can we stand against injustice? How can we um, uh, serve the poor and the oppressed as the church without capitulating to the ways of the world? And um, I'm going to read to you this quote. It's kind of a long post, but I felt it was really important. I may not be the only one saying things like this, but I felt I needed to speak up. And uh, I wrote this. I addressed it to the church. Church, as we join the world in this moment of mourning, of righteous anger, of self-reflection, of calling for change and loving our neighbor, as we march with our signs, post post on our social media, invite others to sign our petitions, and follow the world's lead in the hope for a better, more just world. Church, remember that the message of reconciliation, true reconciliation between us and God, and then uh, us to one another begins with the cross of Jesus Christ, though it may lead to the electing of more just leaders and the passing of better laws of man. Church, in our outrage over the evil that we see resident in the world, remember that you are also called to proclaim the, that to the same world that it was the evil resident in each one of us that led each one of us to having our knees on the neck of Christ at his crucifixion. Church, In our calls for justice, remember that you are not alone in your call for justice. God is also calling for justice. But God's call for justice is not just to rectify racism, hostility, and chaos in society. God will demand justice for himself from every one of us who have defiled his dignity, broken his law, and he will have his day in court. Church, In our activism to bring about change in the world, remember that it was the Apostle Paul who said that true saving change in the human spirit requires nothing less than the entire trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit. And that the soul of man is unrepairable until it becomes an entirely new creation in Christ. And so we want to look now at our third theological understanding of what is happening. We want to look at the image of Christ that we're all being conformed to in this moment and how the church can speak into and and lead the way in terms of serving the poor and the oppressed and to be a voice of of God in this moment that our culture is experiencing. And I want to give three um, examples of what the church can be doing right now. Number one, as the church needs to model reconciliation amidst her own house of worship, uh, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote uh, when he ministered to the church at Rome and Corinth and Galatia and Ephesus. This is what the Apostle James and the Apostle Peter talked about when they talked about the rich and the poor coming together, Jew and Gentile coming together within the church as they worship and do life together. Um, the, the world has to look at the church and have a sense of hope that um, through The gospel of Jesus Christ that has brought together the two men and made them one in Christ. That this can happen through the power of God. And if the world looks at the church and doesn't see that, what hope do they have? Um, You know, uh, Lorraine and I, we recently moved from our house. And in a couple weeks, uh, five of the guys from the church are going to be moving in. And part of the reason why we uh, moved into this new house and we're renting this new house and we're renting out our old house to the five guys um, that are going to be moving into the church is because I looked at them and I said, you know, all five of those guys are um, not in very good uh, situations where they're currently at, and this could be so good for them if they moved into our house, and um, this could really change their lives, and uh, some of them are Asian, uh, one of them was white, and there's uh, two of them are African-Americans. And I think that's just a wonderful reflection of the kingdom of God living together, ministering together in community. And so I I think the church has to model this as as the world looks at us and say, if your God has brought you together and if the gospel truly is offered to everyone, do we see everyone included uh, when your church comes together for worship, both rich and poor and Jew and Gentile? Number two, um, I think the church has got to have a testimony of ministering to the poor and the oppressed, the foreigner, the stranger, the widow, the orphan, uh, in her own house of worship, in her own family, as well as ministering to the world that are poor and oppressed and foreigner and stranger and widow and orphan. Uh, We have to have a testimony of doing that both in the family of God as well as to the world around us. Uh, This is what the Apostle James and the Apostle John said when they said, in the church, if your brother is in need, and you have what they need, and you don't give it to them, then how can the love of God be in you? Uh, you, have, you say you have faith, but you don't have works. And so, in the church, as we see need in the church, we have got to rise up and help. And uh, I'm so proud of our Church City Bible Church. Um, last year, uh, there was a young man who, who entered into um, the direction of our church, and uh, he he didn't have much means, but... He was estranged from his wife and uh, the birth of his second child was about to happen and so the church uh, very rapidly raised uh, a significant amount of money to put him um, on a bus to take the bus back to Alabama to go see the birth of his second child when he would not have been able to uh, otherwise and it was just a beautiful moment for him and that was an example of where many people, many believers in our church helped out another brother who was in need, who came from a vastly different background than uh, they had come from. Um, there's another example of a couple in our church that has um, helped out in extraordinary ways, a single mom that had uh, come into the community of our church when our church was first starting. And uh, they, they housed uh, the single mom. They helped wash their kids so the single mom could work. And there's just so many good things for them uh, to help uh, this this woman kind of get back on her feet after she moved out to California. And these are just a couple of many examples that, uh, that I think are very commendable by the people in our church as they have uh, modeled the kingdom of God to help those who are in need, even within uh, our own community. And I think even outside of our community as well, um, our church has several times gone to Skid Row to do Skid Row foot washing for several hours on a Saturday, several uh, several times uh, in partnership with the Union Rescue Mission, which is one of the largest missions in the entire world. And so as we served the poor on the street and washed their feet, uh, it was a beautiful thing to see the people in our church do that. And there was a testimony to the gospel as well as we encouraged them to go to the mission. I've mentioned uh, several times over the past several weeks that I've been able to reconnect with a former Compassion International child, um, that I supported for about 15 years Who lives in Rwanda He's now an adult uh, But we dialogue a lot through Facebook now And, um, and his name's Kasangwa. And I've just learned so much for him And grown in my fondness for him uh, When I started supporting him he's a little boy And now he's a grown man And so I, I just felt moved that You know, if I have extra right now And he's living in Rwanda um, And we're both believers And he is He goes to church He prays um, he believes in the Lord and follows Jesus, that uh, if I have extra, how can I not help him out right now, uh, especially during these difficult times? As, as I listen to the words of James and John, if your brother's in need, help them. And so I, I've been uh, able to wire him some money. I found a Western Union uh, office that's just maybe a mile from where he lives. And so I've been wiring him some money from time to time to, to just kind of help him out. And I think it's very important that the church has that testimony where we're helping the poor and the oppressed both inside the church as well as outside. And thirdly, not only can the church model reconciliation within her own house, not only does she need to have a testimony of helping the poor and the oppressed uh, within her house, but also outside. But thirdly, um, I think the church has to have a testimony, especially during this time of praying for our leaders, praying for all people, praying for their salvation, praying that our leaders would make godly decisions so we could live godly and peaceful and quiet lives, as Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 2. Um, I see a lot of Christians calling people to march, to hold up signs, to post things, to demand change from our our politicians. And uh, maybe there's a place for that. But there is not a place for that in the place of praying for people, and praying for our leaders, and praying for the salvation of those who have expressed racism or evil towards us. It doesn't take precedent over our prayers for these people who, um, because it is our our act of faith that God is in control, that God is the one who saves. Um, This past week on Monday, myself and a couple others, we went down to downtown LA, to Little Tokyo. I think uh, Sunday night there was some rioting, and so we felt moved on Monday morning to go down there and uh, we went on a prayer walk for about two hours, two and a half hours throughout the area. We've probably stopped at a dozen different places in the area, prayed over Christian businesses for their protection, prayed for people's salvation. Uh, we, we ran into some law enforcement officers and we prayed for them on the spot. Um, and it, it was so important, I think, to have a testimony of the church in the city where there's so much brokenness and um, and and such raw emotions going on that now, we need to be there in the middle of it as the church. We need to be praying to God during this time and not just calling for the removal of our secular leaders if we don't feel like, if they're part of the problem, but we need to be praying for their salvation and we need to be praying that, uh, for their wisdom and we need to pray that God would reach them. And are we doing that, church? Are we modeling reconciliation? Are we... Do we have a personal testimony of helping the poor and the oppressed, the stranger, or the foreigner, the orphan, the widow, in the church as well as outside the church? And do we have a testimony of um, before we speak, before we act, we are praying? I want to close um, by saying something hard to say, but I think it needs to be said. Jesus and the apostles. The apostles Paul and James and Peter and John, yes, they would be grieved at the death of George Floyd. They would be angered at the racism and the injustice that they see in society. They would want to see change happen. Absolutely. And so should uh, the Church of Jesus Christ. But Jesus and Paul and James and Peter and John did not primarily call the Roman Empire... To repentance for their racism and their injustice. They did not primarily call upon Rome to elect more just Roman officials. What Jesus and Paul and James and Peter and John did is they did not primarily try and change the Empire of Rome into um, a first century Tower of Babel. They understood. That the broken image of God in man cannot be spiritually changed by re- replacing it with the idealized image of man, both individually and in society. They understood that the only way to change the broken image of God in man is to actually replace it with the image of Christ, with Christ Himself living through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it is only through Christ can the human heart be changed. And when the human heart is changed, then society itself can be changed. And society changing does not change best through changing of laws or changing of those who lead society. It changes when the human heart is changed by our Lord and Savior. The world is saying to society that we must get this moment right. We must get this moment right in human history. God is saying to the church that we must have a right understanding of man, a right understanding of the world, a right understanding of Christ and his role in our lives as a church to get this moment right. The most important thing right now is not that we are on the right side of history. The most important thing right now is we need to be on the right side of God's story. The most important thing right now is we need to know who we are in order to know where we are going and to understand that all lives matter to God because all lives are made in the image of God. And we need to be careful that we as the church, while we stand against injustice, while we want to help the poor and the oppressed both inside and outside the church, we also don't want to be caught, get caught up in helping build another uh, 21st century tower of Babel. And we want to call people. We want to lead the world. We do not want to be led by the world. We want to lead the world to salvation in Jesus Christ. We want to lead the world and show that the way of Jesus is one of peace, is one of reconciliation, is one of compassion to those who are in need. Church, Do not relinquish your testimony to the world. You have a unique testimony through the gospel. And yes, you can stand in common ground with the world for things like justice and truth and love and compassion. But let that never take the place of the gospel itself. Let that never take the place of the church being subservient to uh, the winds of change of the world or the direction or leading of the world. No, the church of Jesus Christ needs to lead the world, and lead the world to God. And so we can be that people. We can, that is the hope that we offer to the world. And um, God will prevail through his people and his church if we remember that, for we are made in his image and we are being conformed to the image of Christ. And we have so much to offer to the world. Let's not give that up. Uh, let's offer them the Lord, and let's be at our very best, church, in these days. God bless you.